key that we're in, I, I, I want to uh, draw your mind back to the beach of uh, Normandy on the 6th of June, 1944, uh, where Eisenhower led the Allied forces onto uh, the beaches of France to take back land that had been taken by the Axis powers, namely Nazi Germany. And so uh, imagine yourself on the barge, on the landing uh, uh, craft, coming up to the beach. The, the, uh, the, the outside conditions are terrible. You're very aware that there is an enemy. We are in need of a lot of, not just initial, but we need to start. And there's going to be a lot of long-term fighting and waging of warfare. That's the key that we're in. Uh, because we do as... Uh, as gentlemen who believe the word of God, and if you don't, you're welcome here. I'm glad you're here among us. But as those who believe in the word of God, we acknowledge that there is land that has been taken away from biblical worldview Christianity uh, in the culture and world that we live in that is ripe for the taking back for the kingdom of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So imagine we're on that landing craft Everything is against us. And like the, mock, the mocking men in the book of Nehemiah said when they were trying to rebuild their wall, maybe we can uh, edit that for ourselves today. What are these feeble men doing? Our enemies of Christ might say. Will they restore biblical manhood for themselves? Will they rebuild from the heaps of rubbish and burnt bricks at that? What they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down. That might be the, the mocking that we're hearing from the enemies who have well taken the land back uh, away from biblical manhood. But I want to speak the words of uh, Nehemiah in chapter 4, verse 14, when he said, he, he looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. That's the key we're in this morning. There is an enemy, land has been taken, the word of God and the great commission of Christ compels us to go forward, not fighting is not an option, we must be found as faithful men, and therefore forwards. So this morning, we're, we're, this is going to be the first of many, God willing, for the years to come, of times when we come together and preach the word of God and uh, encourage one another as men and enjoy each other's company. Uh, and I'm going to give a talk that is very general with some good application, but quite uh, general in its scope. And in future talks and future times and videos and discussions, we'll get more specific on a lot of what we will discuss. That's the key that we're in. We're about to land on the beach and we've got a long fight ahead of us. So we're going to look at just quickly first, the need for patriarchs. And then secondly, how to become patriarchs. So first of all, uh, the need for patriarchs. The, the topic of biblical manhood is not very commonly, frequently spoken of by, by lots of churches and lots of Christian ministries. I think precisely because people think that it's enough to just talk about Christianity in general. Let's talk about being good Christians and not gender at all like that. Uh, but that is to take the word of God out of balance. Because the way that the Word of God is written, it has what we call gendered piety. It has holiness and a mission and goals and Christian character that looks different if you're a man and a woman. So that the Bible is not just androgynous, which means neither distinctly male nor distinctly female, sort of in between, non-gendered. But we know that gender was created by God and, and is good, 
And that the, the way that the, the Word of God gives us commands and uh, goals to have and character to fulfill is gendered. So that we actually miss the Word of God and what it's saying to men, and we miss the men of our, uh, uh, of our world if we don't preach in a, and speak to Christianity and godliness that is gendered. Speaking intentionally to biblical masculinity. So proof, as I said before, the land has been well taken for those who do not have a good worldview of uh, biblical masculinity. They'll call it toxic masculinity, patriarchy is evil, all that stuff. As proof that um, that, that land has been taken by the Axis powers and that it needs to be taken back is, and, and this is proof maybe that you've been affected by this and haven't noticed it even, the proof of that would be uh, you stand on this side that says, we don't need to talk about biblical masculinity, femininity. Let's just talk about Christians in general. Or uh, you, uh, you think that gender talk is all political and we should stay away from that sort of thing. Or uh, you don't even realize that a war on manhood is a war on the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as saying, I'm not, you know, there's not a war on, on, the, on the nation. There's just a war on the soldiers. That doesn't make sense. There is a war on the kingdom of God that aims its snipers and its bullets at biblical manhood, which I will prove is the foundation of much of this. Uh, and the other evidence that you might be more affected than the opposing worldview than you realize is you hear the word patriarchy and you shrink a little bit. That's the reason there's abuse. That's the reason that there's all kinds of evils in the world. I had a feminist friend tell me once that the disease is because of patriarchy. Uh, I had an opportunity to explain to a federal headship in Reformed theology and prove, yes, you're right, the fall is because of our headship in Adam. But that's entirely different. Uh, so, 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 but these are not bad things. The, the things that we see in our world, which are evidence that the enemy has the land on a lot of manhood, is that men are five times, in Australia, men are five times more likely to abandon a family than a woman is. Men marry later and later and later, often putting it off, which all throughout history and scripture, that is, that is something that is so key to, uh, to manhood, is the, the normalcy of marriage. Uh, fatherlessness in Australia is at an all-time high, and the flow-on effects are immense. Soci sociologists say that fatherlessness in families is the biggest cause of social decay and individual decay out of anything else. More than money, more than uh, crime, more than socioeconomic standing, anything. It's fatherlessness that causes it the most. Most churches have uh, the, the, the demographic that they have the least people in is men between 18 and 40. I think we've missed uh, a lot of what the, the Bible will call us to. And this is more than just arguing about worldviews and theology about gender. This is our brothers, many of you, who have suffered, real people suffer, women are abused, children are neglected, society decays, people go to hell because men are not converted men are not discipled well, this has ongoing flow-on effects in every regard. So our enemies of feminism, gender confusion movement, the fatherlessness, complete state dependence of some, the sexual revolution from decades ago, that's all, sure, that, that's different type of access powers, but you lift up the mask and what you see behind that is just one big, ugly, prowling lion named Satan who wages war against God and his saints. And that's us. And we're on the barge, and we're coming in red hot, ready to preach the gospel and see some change. One of the ways that uh, you need to understand, I'll lay a foundation here first before we go any further. In the world, the Bible gives us three spheres of authority. 
The first is the family, then there is the church, and then there is the state. Uh, they don't get to overrule each other. The state does not get to tell me what I preach. The church does not get to tell you how you discipline or name your children. That's the, they're each independent spheres of authority. But, um, and each of those are biblically men's positions. Men are head over the family. Men are head over the ch- uh, 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 authoritative in the church. And men are given the, the task of ruling and defending nations. All of those are pretty controversial to say that men should be in political leadership men should be the ones leading a church that's controversial to say these days it's even controversial to say that only men can be fathers today that's where we're at gentlemen that's that's where we're at and that's the world that we speak into michael foster um as is a guy who writes on this sort of topic he says um and has pointed out like many others that each of those spheres of authority has has dependence on the prior sphere And so if there's failure in one, the next one has to play catch up. And it's always only ever playing catch up because God's design is first for the family to rear good, stable adults, then the church to utilize them and do their part in discipleship, but not replace the father. And that the state has to play massive catch up with bonuses and Centrelink and uh, and crime uh, punishment when stability and morality is not taught first in the family and, of course, aided by the church. So it has flow-on effects. And so Michael Foster has written and said, we're in a nation, and it's sort of a time in our cultural moment where so many men, a record high number of men, did not have, have had fathers leave, and so we're not raised with biblical fathers, and therefore we are, he says, we're a generation of bastards. And that's not, that's not dirty word, that's not cussing, but, but that's in the genuine meaning of the word bastard, was to be somebody who did not know, uh, did not have your father's name or his inheritance. And so we're sort of at a time when a record high number of young men don't know who they are because they didn't have a meaningfully biblical relationship from father and had, um, uh, don't, know, don't have the, the spiritual and legacy inheritance from their fathers. We are often a generation of bastards, uh, Michael Foster says. And so you don't, we often don't know who we are, what we're here for, how to be a man, and the rest. So I'm going to speak to two you know, I think we have non-Christians among us today. So glad that you're here. You are either aware of all of this war on men subconsciously, and you've been a bit peeved off by it, but you don't know what to do, or you strike back with just, I don't know, burping a whole bunch, getting drunk at the pub and, and uh, you know, trying to be a macho man. Um, or you've come full swing underneath it and you, you proudly say that you're a, a male feminist and all of the rest. I don't think you'd be here if that's you. But if you're here, you're, well, you're more than welcome because we, we want to educate. Uh, but the not even for Christians, the very same thing is true. Either you're aware and you don't like it, but I guess that's just what being gentle and lowly means is not caring that manhood's under war. Uh, or you're maybe even full swing down the other side and go, no, I fully believe in all of this androgynous Christianity and feminist Christianity. To both, we need to say, the enemy is seeking to make ground. We want to make ground back for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fight, remember the Lord, do not be afraid of the enemy. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Reclaiming what is biblical is an act of love to our families, our churches, societies, and the coming generations. So, how to be a patriarch. I had about 30 different definitions of what it means to be a patriarch, and all of them were too lengthy with way too many conditions on them. Just said, it's, a, it, it's being a godly biblical man. That's what being a patriarch means. Uh, uh, 
if if we were to, you know, we visited Normandy, we sort of have had an idea of uh, um, uh, some other things there. Let's also visit Egypt. If you remember, uh, I'm borrowing again from Michael Foster here. When you remember back on the Jews in Egypt, there was a huge war before it broke out between God and the plagues in Egypt. There was a war on the Israelite men uh, in order to cripple the Israelite nation. Um, so, it, but still, they they had to be a a a strong uh, nationally identified people group, right? The Jews were still there, and they came out of it strong-ish. And so, I want to ask the question: We're here, surrounded by an enemy, a lot of young men enslaved and afflicted uh, to pornography and other sorts of lusts and worldliness. Um, uh, we're we're very similar to the Egypt to the Jews in Egypt, who uh, it says that a Pharaoh came along who was a tyrant, who was evil. And tyrants hate strong young men. They hate them. Not all governors. Tyrants hate strong young men. We see this in Herod. We see this in uh, uh, many of the uh, evil kings of the Old Testament. We see this in in the Pharaoh. He had a fear of the young, able-bodied men. So it says that he afflicted them and enslaved them. He attacked the young men because he, he knew that they were the fighting men. And then when that didn't work enough, he started to kill them at birth. Uh, as they were born, if it was a male, they would commit abortion. And then they were thrown into the Nile eventually. His aim was to destroy the nation. Because if you afflict and enslave and destroy the young men who can fight, you remove future men who can rule and lead and bring stability and national identity and, and carry a sword. That was his aim. He did not mind having Jewish women and Jewish daughters. He needed to destroy the young, strong men. And it very much worked because uh, they grew up. They, they didn't have many young men around. They were intermarrying with the Egyptians. By the time that the Exodus happens, you actually know that there's a lot of uh, Jewish half-caste Egyptians among the group. And they, had, uh, you know, they were worshipping the false gods. That was the aim. Afflict them, take them away from their national identity in God. I think these are, these are the reasons why the world, the enemy in Egypt and the enemy now wants to make sure you are not and God's people are not biblical patriarchs. Reason number one, if you're not a patriarch, you will not prioritize making and raising sons. It just doesn't matter. There's not a lot to fight for. There's not a big vision we're, we're here for. There's not a mission. There's not a, it doesn't matter. We don't prioritize and aim at raising young, young strong men out of our children, out of our uh, male children, because, well, we're not patriarchs. The world wants you to think that way. Let them educate them. Let them raise them with a worldview. You won't do it if you're not a patriarch. Number two, you will not have, if you're not a patriarch, you won't have a corporate identity. This is so key to the Israel, uh, Israel's strength, even today, is the sense of, even around the world and in dispersion, a sense of corporate identity. I'm away from them. I'm afflicted and enslaved in Egypt, whatever. We are men. We are those who have a corporate identity. So everybody was named, you know, I'm Moses, son of Amran. They were all of a clan and a tribe, and they drew their names back to the patriarchs who were the leaders of the nation. And so today, you know, I'm, I'm Tom. I'm of the nation of Christ, the tribe Protestant, the clan Reformed Baptist, my family Hope Reformed Baptist Church. I'm son of Lachlan, spiritual descendant of John Knox, Martin Luther, Athanasius, Paul the Apostle. When you're a man who is a patriarch, you see yourself in a long line. You have a corporate identity. There's something to fight for. You're not an island whose decisions affect only you. They want you to think that 
and you will remove biblical, a lot of what God would call men to do. Thirdly, you will forget about your legacy. If you're not a patriarch, don't care about your legacy. It's not about a big picture, like we said before, a big mission. You don't need to worry about contributing or leaving anything behind. Live it up while you're here and forget about it. And fourthly, if you're not a patriarch, you will not fight or raise soldiers. There's nothing to fight for. There's no land to take back. It's okay. Sit down, settle down, waste your time, waste your life. That's what non-patriarchal men do. And that's why the enemy wants us to be not patriarchs. Pharaoh was friendly. He just just wanted peace in the nation. He didn't want anybody to get hurt. He wanted to keep the status quo. Don't be a, a troublemaker. Don't be an agitator. Often men are told today. Well, they remembered the promises of God. They remembered the covenant of God. They remembered the commandments of God and drilled down in faithfulness, each man in his own home. You see, in the Exodus, what God continually commands is remember the promises, remember who I am by covenant to you, and each man in his own household you take the lamb and slaughter the, slaughter the Passover lamb. You make sure your family is ready. You make sure your family is, out, out, uh, is inside and protected from the coming plague. It's independent uh, uh, family um, uh, responsibility of the men who are faithful in the little and drill down into that. That makes a strong people of God. So if you have a Bible or on your phone, we're going to, uh, I've been told I need to stop doing this, but I'm going to keep on doing it. We're going to close out we're not anywhere near closing. By looking at Psalm 128, the short six-verse psalm here, and we're going to, um, I see if you've got it on your phone or you've got a Bible with you, open up to Psalm 128. This is one of the psalms of ascent that the Jews would sing as a corporate identity going up to their mountain to worship God in the temple. Like the patriarchs did in Egypt, we now need to say we're surrounded by an enemy. There is ground taken. How do we become Christian patriarchs and wage the good warfare that Paul tells us to? Number one, look at Psalm 128. Verse one says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The very first thing, if you want to be a patriarch, you need to be a Christian. And I will not assume that everybody here is born again, infilled by the spirit, forgiven by Christ and living in in his spiritual nation. You have to be a Christian. Look, this is those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. So in other words, you're not going to save your soul and redeem yourself from sin of effeminacy or, or other by becoming more macho, swinging an axe, going to men's brekkies, eating more bacon, being rude to people and, and, and sticking it to the man. That's not where you find salvation. Where you find salvation is fearing the Lord, the ultimate patriarch, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What the Bible means when it says fear the Lord is to consider Him as sovereign judge to whom you will give an account And recognizing if you fear him rightly, you don't run in the foolish hope that there's some other place of safety. To really recognize the the fearfulness of the Lord is to run to him, Psalm uh, 2 tells us. To run to him, come and kiss the son uh, of God, lest he be angry and pour out on us what we deserve. So to fear the Lord is to recognize him as judge, bring your sin to him because his grace is deeper than all of our sins. You can be forgiven. You cannot redeem yourself. He made us in his image as men and he can recreate us in his image as men in Jesus Christ. Your sins need to be forgiven. Only God can do that in Christ. So I implore you first to be a real man is to be a Christian. 
And then secondly, uh, uh, as part of being a Christian is walking in his ways. So gentlemen, that means we are men of the word of God. We know the word of God. We live the word of God. As Paul says in 2 Timothy, along with those around us who call on the name of the Lord uh, with a pure heart. We are a, a, a corporate men of God who love his word and live his word. Everything flows from here. Your relationship with the Father through Jesus. But then look at verse 2 and 4. Once you're a Christian, then you need to realize that the blessing of the Lord comes to those who are men. He, he blesses women as well, but I'm not talking to women now. To, who are men, born men, and live like men. So, so the, if you read Psalm 128, in the background, it's a thoroughly masculine, man-focused psalm. So verse 2 says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. It's talking about working in the field and getting a good produce, which in the Old Testament, and even often today, the, the working was done by the man. So this is a psalm to the men. It's blessing his realm of productivity. And then in verse 4 it says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So this is a thoroughly masculine psalm. Because this word man here is not the usual Hebrew word for man, which is Adam, where we get the word Adam as well. It's the word for the men that the, the kings would count when they want to know how many men can make up an army. This word actually means warrior, fighting man, eligible, sword-carrying, masculine dude. That's what this word means. So it's saying, thus shall the man, strong man, warrior, strong, patriarchal man, who knows who he is in the Lord, be blessed, who fears the Lord. So, so it starts with being a Christian. Your relationship to God is ultimate. And then as soon as you start living the Christian life, you need to realize there is a way for Christian men to live the, live the Christian life that is distinct from, not opposite to, but distinct from the way the women are called to live the Christian life. And this is a mindset. So it starts in your soul, be a Christian. Then it moves to your mindset. Have the mindset that everything you do as a Christian man will go through the prism of being a man. Have that expectation. You'll see it everywhere in Scripture and recognize that this is a good and godly thing. So it's not just, what does my darn wife want me to do who keeps on signing me up to things and forcing me to come out to brekkie, you know, or whatever. It's not simply, what should a Christian do in general, I guess, if I want to be obedient. It is, what should a strong man, warrior, fighting, masculine man who loves the Lord Jesus Christ do biblically? That's that just doesn't fit on a uh, bracelet very well. But that's what we, we ask ourselves. I'm a man, so there's a way to live as a man here for Jesus Christ. So that's in the background of Psalm 128. Then look at verse 3. So first, be a Christian. Secondly, be a man. Thirdly, be a father. Or have the father's heart. Verse 3 says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be olive shoots around your table. What this is showing us is that marriage and family is God's most normal way of blessing men. The capstone of all the blessings in the Garden of Eden was a beautiful, at that time, naked wife called Eve who loved Adam, met all of his needs, and was a perfect companion for him. That was the blessing. 
That is the normative best way that God blesses man other than being a Christian. Uh, and so he says here, wife is like a fruitful vine. That's the grapevine. She's just wrapping the, the walls, fruits everywhere. She's productive in the home. That's a beautiful picture of biblical blessing. And then it says the children are like olive shoots. Imagine one-year-old olive trees that are still tender, need, uh, need tender gardening work to them, but they are full of future promise. Olive oil can be sold for hundreds of dollars, you know, a liter. Uh, it, it's going to be, be a strong, grand tree that lives many, many years. This is what, this is a picture of blessing is in the context of family. And the psalm ex- explicitly, uh, uh, directly beforehand is Psalm 127, which says, Behold, Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. That's great. That's right. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. When you hit the, the battlefield, it's better to have more bullets than less. And, and, and there's exceptions and there's singleness and there's barrenness and, and other types of, of exceptions. But the norm should be, I want to be, have the father's heart, love a woman, start a family, and bless the world through my family. It starts with salvation. Secondly, a masculine mindset. And then thirdly, a family-oriented life. So that in the Old Testament, you are known by your father and your clan and your tribe and your nation. And today, having a family is not just about reproducing and making kids. It's about discipleship. So that as much as they have your genetic code and look a bit like you, they should carry your spiritual likeness and be discipled by you men. You are, uh, like in the Old Testament, you are the priest, the prophet, and the king in your home. That's your sphere of productivity, blessing, and rule. For, to, 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 to grow those trees in strength and to, to have a, a, a vine that is enjoying its life, being attended by you. That's where we get the word husband. It's a hundred, husbandryman. It literally just means gardener. So your husband of a wife is to be a gardener. So I I implore you to uh, not assume that your children or future children or uh, uh, those around you, your spiritual children, do not just by osmosis pick up on things if he's looking close enough. And if he's not, well, that's his fault. But to be intentional fathers, spiritual fathers and biological fathers, both if they're your children, to raise them up in the fear of the Lord. Ephesians 5 and 6 picks up right on this Psalm 128 uh, theme when it says, love your wife. He who loves his wife loves himself and do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them in the, in the uh, uh, discipline and the fear of the Lord. They're going together. That's what a biblical man should expect. And, and I love that it says here, uh, they are you know, fruitful vine and all the shoots around your table. And this is not the usual word for table that we have over here. It's the word for a king's banquet table or a priest's offering table. So it's this royal priesthood picture, which is what we're told as men we are in First Peter. We are royal priests. We're in the kingly line and we're priests to lead people to God. That's your role in your family. You are a pastor if you have a family. I implore that you would consider it that way. So just one very practical thing before we move to the fourth and final bit. Do not give any ground for a Nazi coming with you in your barge on the way to Normandy Beach. And practically what I mean is, because that doesn't sound very, very practical, do not watch pornography. Give no ground 
for the enemy to sneak up right inside your own barge and sit there and give you, uh, uh, give you its, its form of blessings. To have a father's heart and to watch pornography, especially habitually, are incongruent, can, are not compatible in any way. It, it, it destroys your ability to think of young women, as we're told in First Timothy, as sisters and daughters. You, you ruin your ability to do that if, if, if your eyes and your mind are trained to watch pictures and videos like that. It ruins the, um, the, the masculinity that you've been given. It destroys masculinity. There is nothing masculine and manly about pornography. It is the affliction and enslaving that the pharaohs sent in to destroy you and make you weak. And it gives ground to the systemic and systematic enemy. <clears throat> so be a Christian, be a man, be a father in your heart, and maybe God will give you a wife and children, and maybe God, and God will at least give you spiritual children like he did to Paul. And fourthly, we'll see this in the closing verses of Psalm 128, verse 5 and 6, be legacy driven. Verse 5 says, the Lord, so it, we move to the, from the individual to the family, now he's going nationwide. The Lord bless you from Mount Zion, the center of their religious and political life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children, shalom, peace be upon Israel. This is the effect of the down, if we get upstream right, men as patriarchs before the Lord, the downflow stream of this is family, society, and the cosmos having us work together to the re, um, uh, re-establishing of Christ's reign. <clears throat> Zion on Jerusalem, that's, that's big language. But it's also, so it's wide, it's also deep. It's long-lasting because he says, all the days of your life. And then it's generational because he says, may you see your children's children who are walking in this blessing. It says also, may shalom be upon God's people, which is not just no war. It's the restoration of all perfection and peace and upbuilding and edification. May that happen through you. So our aim as fathers and biblical men is not just to get our kids through high school, send them off to university and click done, hope they don't do the big bad things like commit adultery or, you know, walk away from the faith. That's not the, 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 the extent of the call. The extent of the call is leaving a legacy. Or, or, the, or for the Christian who's maybe not a father yet, the drive for you is not simply try to live the Christian life without too much drama and, you know, get through to the end and you'll be right. You're an island. It doesn't matter too much what you do. But rather, think what you will leave behind for the generation after the generation after you. What will people think of? If they know your name and hear your name, what will they think of? If they were to read what you left behind in life, your spiritual legacy, the, the church that you served in, the people that you sowed into, the, the, fa the family and structure of the family that you left behind, what will people know you for? And it is never too late in your life to start asking that question and rearranging mistakes or bad habits that were forged maybe when you had young children. Be legacy driven. This is what Psalm 127 ends with when he says, blessed is the guy who fills his quiver with youth to shoot off to the glory of God because he's aware that there's a war at stake and there's land at stake. And so I want to win things for my future generation. He says, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
A legacy mindset assumes an enemy, assumes the war, which Jesus says we're in, knows that there is a king and wants to gain ground for him and wants to bless and liberate people who are otherwise under the grip of an unbiblical view of masculinity and all of the rest. So blessing is a concrete thing. It's flourishing. It's descendants. It's, it's kingdom growth. It's disciple making. And it has a bearing on society at large. Vody Bockham, let me close out with, with this. Vody Bockham says in his book, and I recommend it to you, Family Shepherds, How Men Should Lead Their Family. Family Shepherds. He says, it's often been said, as goes the church, so goes society. Church degrades, society follows. But he says, it, it can more so be said, as go the families of the church, so goes the church. And as go the individual men, so go those families. And that is what we're seeing in Psalm 128 tonight. That, that today. It's going to be night soon if I keep going. The man is, knows the Lord and is blessed by the Lord for walking in the ways of the Lord. That has direct relationship with how you relate to and raise your children and sons. You are focused on leaving behind a legacy of godliness and instilling Christ-likeness and his mission fruit in your life right now. That's what being a patriarch means. Being a Christian, having a masculine mindset, being a family-oriented father in your heart, aiming to leave a legacy. Jesus has died. Our sin is dead. Jesus arose. We arose with him, no longer to be condemned or walking in our sin. We have a victorious Jesus Christ, King. The kingdom of God is among us. The Holy Spirit is sent to us. No one is too lost, too weak, too addicted, too pathetic, too taken by the world's mindsets, to not be transformed by this omnipotent God who promises his grace in Jesus Christ. Amen.